Welcome to podcasts recorded live at the Center for Spiritual Living in Portland, Oregon. Listen past the end of the podcast to find out more about our spiritual center and ways that you may collaborate with us. Well, welcome everyone. I'm so glad you're joining us. This month we're using Pam Grout's book, E-Cubed, and the idea of it is to actually prove some of the spiritual principles that we espouse every Sunday, to actually prove them to ourselves, that one by one we can actually set up almost science experiments, if you will, or at least experiments of the heart, to prove to ourselves that so many of these spiritual principles actually are active and working in our own lives. Well, you'll remember last week we launched into our first science experiment, our first proof of spiritual principle. I, I called it the rhinoceros test after the idea that when a rhinoceros starts charging, they're just full speed ahead. They pay little attention to what's going on around them. And the idea being that if we put our attention, if we set our course very first thing in the morning on life, on love, on joy, on fun, that the trajectory that we will set will carry us through the day. And in fact, I've been uh, dancing every morning as I'm brushing my teeth to good vibrations, <laughs> that old song. And I think it has actually set me on a trajectory of happiness, or greater happiness anyway, throughout the day. So I invite any of you on Facebook Live, if you took my challenge, if you did the rhinoceros test, I would love to hear from you. Go ahead and post on our Facebook Live. Just post a comment uh, telling about your success or maybe not success in using the rhinoceros test in your own life. Last week, we also covered four key false beliefs, things that will tend to squash out happiness, four things that tend to make it more difficult for us to find happiness in the world. And they're, they're pretty common thoughts. And today I wanted to focus in on one of them even more importantly. One of the four things that shuts down our happiness is our tendency to be in judgment. Uh, obviously, there has to be a joke about Judgment Day, right? And so I thought I would share it with you. So a fellow died one day, found himself waiting in a very long line for judgment. As he stood there, he noticed that some souls just allowed to march right through the pearly gates into heaven. Others were led over to Satan, who threw them into a burning pit. But every so often, instead of hurling a poor soul into the fire, Satan would shove them aside, just put them off to one side in yet another small queue. After watching this happen several times, the fellow's curiosity was just at the breaking point. He strolled over, tapped Satan on the shoulder. Uh, excuse me, Prince of Darkness, he said. I'm waiting in line for judgment, but I couldn't help wondering, why are you tossing some people right in and other people over to the side in a line waiting. Ah, those, said Satan, they're all from the Pacific Northwest, way too wet to burn. Of course, we don't particularly believe in a hell. We don't particularly believe in any kind of condemnation. Uh, but I think that the story does illustrate one of the key principles about judgment. Does judgment actually serve a good purpose? 
That's the question. And the uh, spiritual principle that we're going to be working on today, in the book Pam Grout calls it the Simon Cowell principle. So is everyone familiar with Simon Cowell? I probably have to do some explaining. Uh, For those of you who are not TV buffs, Simon Cowell has been on a variety of shows, including American Idol and America's Got Talent. In Britain, he's hosted a number of similar programs. And the premise of all of these is that a certain number of people people really have star quality. But there is also a negative aspect of this. First of all, how do you get to be a contestant on this show? Throughout the U.S. anyway, in all the major cities, they'll have a talent scout out. And thousands and thousands and thousands of people show up at these at these talent scout things and will perform a song or a comedy act or whatever their talent is. And of course, only the smallest smallest percentage even get on the show and then and then what happens uh, when they get on the show i wish i could say it's just a celebration of their talent right but no the judging doesn't end there and in fact simon cowell is sort of noted for his acerbic wit in tearing people down and 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 i have to tell you three years in a row in tv guide he was voted as one of the 10 worst tv villains Now think about this, right? At the same time Game of Thrones was on TV, at the same time all kinds of of crazy villains were on TV, but Simon Cowell for judging the folks on America's Got Talent judged one of the harshest TV celebrities. So what is it about this idea of judgment that diminishes our enjoyment of life? And is it just The other person, the person we're judging, who is down in their happiness quotient? Or is it even the person doing the judging that is going to have trouble in their own lives? So that's what we're going to talk about today. And I'm going to kick us off with a a quote. This is from Pam Grout's E-Cubed. She says, it's a common delusion that there are good guys and there are bad guys. Those wearing white hats and those who deserve to be tied to the railroad tracks. This game of right and wrong, win or lose, me or you, has reached pandemic proportions. By dividing and labeling everything, by judging everything, we automatically diminish our possibilities by at least 50%. And we'll talk more about that in a minute. By believing there's such a thing as one right answer, We lose half of our options, half of our personal freedom, half of our energy. Our constant judgments and game day analysis erect a thick curtain between us and the field of infinite possibilities. Have you thought about that before? When you characterize something as uh, either for you or against you, when you think of yourself even as having some talents and lacking in other talents, have you noticed that it then focuses your attention? Now, oftentimes we think of a focus of attention as a good thing, right? In, In fact, we get in trouble when our mind wanders too much. But the negative, the downside of focus is you tend then to not notice the other possibilities of life. And in particular, when your focus has come about because of a negative judgment, what you're doing is you're limiting your field of possibility by excluding 
a whole swath of things. Let me give you perhaps a better example of this. I remember when I was a kid growing up in Newport, Oregon, there was just one of everything, right? It's funny, but when I remember it, there was one big supermarket. There was one Chinese restaurant. There was one of each denomination of church, of course, just sort of one of everything. And so there was that tendency to judge a whole category based on that one thing. And I remember my mom got the opinion because of our one Chinese restaurant in town that Chinese food was bad. And so I grew up thinking Chinese food's terrible, right? What a funny thing. What a funny judgment to have literally inherited. So never even having been to a Chinese restaurant, I remember uh, we would come up to Portland and it was like every, you know, every corner had its uh, different ethnic foods. And it was so interesting because, of course, I wanted to try them. But I knew, of course, that the Chinese restaurants would be no good. I had already made that judgment. Well, I got to tell you, Thai food, Chinese food, some of those are my favorite foods these days. But when we make a judgment, we immediately limit the possibilities of greater happiness. And so we need to be willing, of course, to make a discernment. It might have been appropriate to say that the Chinese restaurant we had in Newport, Oregon in the 1950s wasn't very good. That would be a reasonable ascertainment, right? That would be something you might say, well, this food isn't for me. It's not to my liking. And that's the difference between making a a decision for yourself, a preference, versus making a judgment. Have you thought about oftentimes the things that you think of as right or wrong are actually only your opinion, right or wrong for you, and even beyond that, right or wrong for you in this moment, <laughs> right? And so the whole idea of judgment, you're, you're simply narrowing your field. You're not allowing for the great potential of the universe to come to bear. So first of all, judging limits our possibilities. When we judge someone else, we overlook the fact that they have many wonderful qualities that we might take advantage of, that that we might be drawn to. When we judge a category of people or a category of food or some way of being in the world, when we judge it rather than just have our opinion about it, we're really narrowing down our own possibilities. And so not only are we perhaps harming someone else with our judgment, we're absolutely harming ourselves. We're putting great limitations on what we can enjoy, how we can show up in the world, how we can participate with other people. So always, always keep that idea open. Be willing to express your opinion, but, but be clear that it's an opinion. It only stands for you, and even only in that moment, right? I learned to love eating Chinese food. The next thing I want to talk about is that when you begin labeling things, when you begin judging things, it takes power and possibilities away. When we judge people negatively, we will often tend to internalize that judgment. And I would, I would point out a study. Is everyone familiar with what in psychological terms is called the Rosenthal effect? Well, the Rosenthal effect is the phenomenon where Others' expectations of a target person 
Effects That Targets Persons' Actual Performance. And it's named after the psychologist Robert Rosenthal. Rosenthal and Lenore Jacobson actually had a study in 1984. They co-opted primary school. Everyone in the primary school was given an IQ test. All the children were given an IQ test. And they told the teachers that through this test, they would be able to actually pinpoint the students that would be excelling. And of course, that isn't what happened at all. They did give the kids an IQ test, but instead, they simply randomly assigned 20% of the kids as achievers. And they gave the list to the teachers saying, you know, we, we did this IQ test and you can look forward to this 20% of the kids really excelling this year. We really think that this test will show that this group of kids is really going to have an outstanding year. Now, we don't want you to treat them differently. Uh, we just want you to just to notice, if you would, and maybe quarterly just write up the success of these students as part of this trial. Well, after that school year was over, they gave the kids another IQ test. Guess what happened? All of the kids that had completely randomly been marked as high achievers scored higher on the subsequent IQ test. And the kids that were young and impressionable in grades 1, 2, and 3, where they already hadn't formed an opinion about themselves much, they literally went through the charts on their IQ test simply because the teachers viewed them as successful as high performers. And so the other thing that happens then when we judge people, especially when we judge people negatively, is they will tend to reflect back to us what we expect of them, and especially the people that are close to us. In fact, I remember when I was in high school, one of my best friends came from a fairly large family, and the the oldest sister in that family, oh my God, she was smart. We were all in, in Newport High School together. She was a couple years ahead of me and my friend, and oh, she was one of those straight-A students. So in your high school, did you have those sort of click things going on, and one of the clicks was where the brains hung out? Well, she was like the brain of the brainiest with, with straight A's and things like that. And, and Phil and I, you know, we were no dummies. Uh, I used to get mostly B's and the occasional A and the occasional C, and he was about the same. But, you know, he was treated differently at home. There was the, the sister seen as the star. And even when my friend would do so very, very well, it never measured up to what his sister was achieving. And so often some of his, some of his triumphs, his real triumphs at school were, were overlooked. I remember a class play that he and I were in together. He did the most amazing job and one of his parents didn't even come to the performance. And what that told him, the message that that gave him was that he simply wasn't as smart, as talented, as good as the rest of the family even though he was great, right? There was absolutely nothing wrong with him. Again, back to the, the Simon Cowell principle, what I know is anyone who gets on the show is a tremendous talent, right? 
And anyone, in fact, who, who has the gumption to go to one of the thousands of auditions across the United States, probably amazing talent to be had in them. And then when there's a pronouncement, you're no good. When there's a pronouncement, you're not going to be on the show. When there's a pronouncement, well, you just didn't do what you needed to do. Oftentimes those are internalized. Oftentimes those become the stories of our lives. So not only does judgment defeat the, the judger, not only does judgment hamper my possibilities, but when I judge others, often that can trigger a lowering of their own self-esteem the unwillingness of themselves to, to reach for some of their goals because they're just not good enough, they believe, to achieve it. The third area of judgment that I want to talk about, and, and I think everyone here will resonate with this a little bit, is self-judgment. Is there anyone within the hearing of my voice that isn't a pretty harsh critic on their selves? In fact, I've written down some of the judgments that I've made, even just around myself and my life, and, and, and I'll share them with you. I don't want any of you on Facebook to come in and, with the poor Larry thing, right? Because when I actually look at these, I don't believe that they either are true or have to be true, but see if some of these sound familiar to you. I'm too old to make a big change like that. I'm not smart enough to achieve what I really want to do. I hate to exercise. I have trouble sleeping. I've never been good with numbers. Everything I eat turns to fat. I don't have enough money to retire. I'm not good with people. And I never have the right things to say when it really counts. Does some of those uh, sound a little bit familiar to you all? Do you find yourself in judgment of yourself, either around the way you look, the way you behave, some of the things that maybe you've done in your life? Do you ever wish for redoing parts of your life where you just thought you were deficient? Well, the trouble with this self-judgment is that it tends to minimize your own capabilities. If you're looking at yourself as not good enough, how likely are you to reach for your dream? How likely are you to move forward? How likely is it that you'll suddenly change your mind about something and say, well, gosh, maybe I'm actually pretty good at that after all. You see, once we've internalized these issues, once we beat ourselves up a little bit, it actually creates pathways in our brains that make us easier to look for the evidence out in the world that we're not pretty good. So let's say, for an example, that maybe you have the idea, the opinion of yourself, the judgment of yourself, that you're just not very good with money. Well, what happens is, you put that judgment as though it were a filter in your mind. And then when you're going about your daily life, you actually will seek out evidence that increases or enhances or makes true that which you have believed about yourself. So if you say, I'm not very good with money, you're more apt to notice that maybe someone has uh, pulled the wool over your eyes and charged you too much. And you'll go, oh, there I am. She overcharged me. I'm so stupid with money. 
And then you'll maybe notice that something that, that wouldn't have any judgment at all, maybe you just have to pay a little extra money on your income taxes this year. A normal thing that everyone does, but if you have the scenario and the thought process of in your mind, I'm just not good with money, there's another opportunity. I bet if I was better with money, I wouldn't have to pay so many taxes. So we begin piling on the evidence of our, of our lacks, of our inabilities to, to, to match some idea of, of prejudice within ourself around our intelligence, around the way we look, around our capabilities, around some of our patterns or our past. We begin having thoughts that someone like me just doesn't deserve the good life, and then we'll even prove it to ourselves. All right. Well, today I'm going to introduce you to the Simon Cowell Challenge. It's to undo Simon Cowell. <laughs> so I'd like you, no, honestly, it's really, it's your, it's your homework this week. And I think you will discover a surprise here. So the idea would be to pick something negative that you believe about yourself. And it doesn't even have to be a personality trait. It could be something like, I hate exercise. It could be something like, uh, I'm no good at finances. It, it could be something pretty simple, like I never have enough energy uh, to do anything around the house. Just pick something where you have negatively made a judgment or a pronouncement around yourself and do the reverse Simon Cowell. I want you to look for evidence this week to the contrary. So let's say that this week I'm going to take on the thought that I'm no good and don't like exercise. That's a pronouncement that I've had before. I just hate exercise. It's no good for me and there's no use in it, right? Just a categoric judgment. Larry, not equal exercise. So this week I'm going to take this Simon Cowell challenge and what I'm going to do is notice all of the times when my physical activity is actually pleasurable. So do you see how this works? I'm going to take something, something negative that I believe about myself and, uh, well, remember the counting blue cars thing, right? Did everyone play the car game when they were kids on long trips and the parents are going crazy? And so you make a game of it. The first person that sees a blue car gets a point. And we'll just keep tally of the number of blue cars we see. And the person who sees the most of them wins. And before that, you would have sworn... Well, blue isn't that popular uh, of a color. How many blue cars are we going to find? And you'll discover after about 10 minutes that blue cars are everywhere. And you'll discover that three days later after playing the game, you're still noticing the blue cars. So that's kind of what I'm asking you to do. Give yourself the positive view of life that you can do that thing that you judged yourself as unable to do, that you can experience that life, that part of life, that maybe you thought was unavailable to you. So again, the key here is to think of something where you have judged yourself as insufficient or wrong, some part of your life where you have narrowed your field down and said, you know, I just can't speak in front of the public. I can't carry a tune in a bucket, whatever it might be, where you have ratcheted down your concept of yourself, made a judgment on yourself. This week, say to yourself, I am going to see evidence to the contrary. 
I'm going to see all the places where I'm actually good with people in public. I'm going to notice all of the physical activities that actually give me joy. The exercise actually could be good for me and pleasurable for me. Make sense? All right. And, and again, I'm, I'm hoping we'll check in next week with this science experiment, the, the Simon Cowell challenge. So I want to talk a little bit about what we've covered today. We've learned that judgment diminishes our chances of happiness in two fundamental ways. First of all, it limits our choices. When we say to ourselves, this is good and that is bad, right away, 50% of the possibilities have gone away. By making a pronouncement, we simply limit our choices. Much better to say, this is not right for me right now. And speak it and think of it simply what's true for you in the moment, not categorically, right? I'm not enjoying this meal, <laughs> but, but this entire cuisine is actually probably great. I'm just choosing in the moment to make this as a preference, but not a judgment. So that you're not limiting those potentials, those limitless potentials in the universe. And then the second thing that we talked about today is that it actually takes power away from ourselves and others. When we do a self-pronouncement of not being good enough, when we tell someone else that they're likely to be an underachiever, we're really diminishing power in both ourselves and the other person. So to simply avoid judgment and instead think of it as preferences and put instead our creativity to work. In fact, if one were to say, I want to replace judgment with anything, I would say, let's replace judgment with creativity. Rather than judging something to be bad, let's look at that entire subject and think of it creatively. And I want to use a final example on this one. Um, so right now, of course, in America, we're, we're stumbling a bit around keeping ourselves safe around the coronavirus, right? Uh, all kinds of, uh, oh my gosh, controversies are erupting around social distancing and face masks. And some people are judging this behavior as good and some people are judging this behavior as bad. And, and you can tell it's not a preference. It's a judgment, right? <laughs> you can see a lot of angry people reacting either positively or negatively to some of these issues. But instead, what if we began thinking more creatively about it? All of us, I think, I hope, all of us want to keep ourselves and our loved ones safe. And so what if we approached it from that angle, not politicizing whether we should wear face masks at Costco or something like that, but rather, what is necessary to do what we really want to do together? What creatively can we, can we do to support safety, security, and health for all Americans? And I bet if we use the same level of energy put into judging each other right now, if we put that energy into being creative, oh my gosh, we'd probably be opening the schools up this fall in complete safety. Because that level of creativity would have made us figure out how we can do it safely. So next time you're invited to come to judgment, instead, let's think about putting that energy into creativity. How can we solve some of the world's problems, not by fighting over what's right and wrong, but instead using that energy to be collaborators?
If collectively we're all on the same bandwagon of keeping each other safe, keeping the world safe, we will come up with ways to do that, and the world will be safer. All right. Well, I'm going to close today with a final reading from E-Cubed, and of course a prayer. She says, Choosing not to judge can seem uncomfortable. Everything in our worldview screams the importance of finding the perfect answer, the right partner, the right one career, the right one lifestyle. Not only does this put tremendous pressure on us, but it's also false. In the quantum milieu, there are millions of right answers. When we believe that there's one single right answer, we become indignant at those who have obviously chosen the wrong answer. Once we realize that there are different right answers for everyone, then we can back off on judgment. We can be more playful, more fluid, more open to the boisterous palette of infinite possibility. Let us pray. There is one power, one presence, one life, one goodness, one, one infinite variety of all things. I know I'm right in the middle of it. I know it's moving around me and through me. I know that the good of the universe is expressed in me and through me now. The life of spirit can be my life. The, the joy of God can be my joy. The peace and equanimity of, of the universe is mine to have and to model. And so, therefore, I know that this is a good day. It doesn't need to be judged. It doesn't need to be put in its proper place. It simply is, and I can find the enjoyment in it. As it is true for me, I know it's true for everyone. Each of us has that capability of putting aside judgment and, and simply being more creative, finding more ways to collaborate, to work together, to be enjoying each other's company. It's simply the way the universe can work when we put aside the need to criticize and judge. And so for this, I give great thanks. I give great thanks at the willingness for, for each of us to maybe put aside our thoughts of right or wrong and recognize simply our own preferences in the moment. And so I release this prayer into the activity, into the action of the law itself. I let it be, and together we say, so it is. Gosh, thank you for being here today. Now is our time of conscious giving. I'd like you to maybe take your gift or your tithe out. I know some of you might be reaching for your smartphones to make a donation or, or making a note to go to our website at cslportland.org to make a donation. All donations are gratefully accepted. If you'd like, you can repeat after me, graciously I give from a place of love, knowing that as I give, so do I richly receive. So I want to close just with an offer to you. I know that so many, uh, so many things are going on in life right now that seem like they're out of our control. So many uh, occasions we're missing with friends, the, the ability to be physically present with some of the folks that we love. I know that there's a, a great sense of nervousness and, uh, and even dismay going on in the world right now. If I'm describing you at all, please know that we do offer personalized prayer treatment for you. First of all, you can go to our website, cslportland.org. At the bottom of every page is a little link. If you click on the Make a Prayer Request link, 
you can fill out a form that will go out to a dozen licensed practitioners, all of whom will be in prayer support for you. But also at the same website, cslportland.org, you'll notice a page of practitioners with phone numbers and emails. If you want even a more personalized approach to being supported in prayer, you can feel free to email or phone one of those folks. You can either have just a a quick prayer over the phone, or you can set up a a full hour-long practitioner session on Zoom. Truly, we would love to serve you in our ability to support you in prayer. So thank you so much for joining us today. See you next week. We hope you enjoyed today's podcast. If you happen to be in the Portland, Oregon area, we'd love to have you visit in person. The Portland Center for Spiritual Living is located at 6211 Northeast Martin Luther King Jr. Boulevard. We have inspirational services at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. every Sunday. We also have many programs, classes, and workshops developed just for our online audience. To find out more, go to our website at cslportland.org and look under the Online tab. We have a variety of content dedicated specifically for our podcast listeners. Our mission is to open hearts, ignite minds, and make a difference. If you'd like to support our center and its podcasts, you can donate online at cslportland.org slash donate. Our website is also the place to learn more about what's going on at the center or to contact us. Allow us to become part of your extended spiritual community. Wherever you are on your spiritual journey, you are most welcome at the Center for Spiritual Living.